Another instant classic in the Red River shootout between Texas and Oklahoma. Unfortunately, on Saturday in the Cotton Bowl, Oklahoma came out on top, 34 to 30. You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on today to get started. Now, today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, we are discussing Oklahoma over Texas, another instant classic in the Red River shootout. Key moments, key plays, key drives that led to the Texas Longhorns losing their first game of the season. And the Big 12 Roundup every Monday, it's always on time. I have to talk about Texas losing for 20 minutes. At least I get to talk about some other teams in your least favorite conference losing as well. All of that and more on today's episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Saturday was demoralizing. Saturday sucked, right? You're sitting there watching that game. And for the most part, it feels like Oklahoma is outplaying Texas. But because Texas has all the talent in the world, they're still in the game. They find a way to tie the game, and then take the lead with 77 seconds left. And you're ready as a Texas fan to pull out all the receipts to talk all the trash. You're ready to you know, start getting on all those Oklahoma fans you know. But most importantly, you win probably the second toughest game on your schedule, the most important game on your schedule at this point because you beat Alabama. And you now control your own destiny and really are in the driver's seat to get to the college football playoff, uh, possibly, and the Big 12 championship game, right? And you're as sneaky, or I don't even say sneaky, the way that they played, a national championship contender going into that game. And all of that can still be true, but you've decreased your margin for error, right? So I was ready to come on here and, uh, you know, talk some trash, pull some receipts, you know, do a little post-game reaction. I was hyped, right? And after that game and, you know, what happened in the last 71 seconds, I had to go get a drink. And I was like, I'll talk to y'all on Monday. Something that Texas fans never thought that they would have to say, we left too much time on the clock for Dylan Gabe, Right. And ultimately, that came back to bite us. You know, I want to talk about this game, and I want to start my analysis with saying I think Oklahoma was just a better team on Saturday, right? We could sit here and, you know, make a bunch of excuses or point to certain situations and say this is why Texas lost. And maybe that's true. Maybe it's not, right? It's all opinion-based at this point. But I just think Oklahoma was the better team on Saturday. I can't say in all three phases because I think Texas was better on special teams. When you get seven points off a punt block touchdown, when Oklahoma misses a field goal and then Oklahoma has a big kick return called back because of an illegal forward pass I can't say that they won the special teams battle but Texas did it was not enough to win the game unfortunately Oklahoma was the better team on offense and I thought in every unit they outplayed Texas Oklahoma was the better team on defense and I thought on every unit they outplayed Texas and I thought when it went to the coaching staffs that matchup between Jeff Levy and Pete Kukowski Steve Sarkeesian and Brent Venables, I thought that Oklahoma won both of those, right? I thought that Brent Venables was just a little bit better than Steve Sarkeesian, and I thought Jeff Levy was a little bit, maybe marginally better than Pete Kukowski on Saturday. This is an Oklahoma team that Texas fans and really the national media question coming into the game, right? They hadn't played anybody. It's only year two under Brent Venables. Texas was still the class of the conference and should win the Red River rivalry on Saturday, right? And we questioned who Oklahoma had played up until this point, right? Even the national media questioned it because this is a 5-0 and team in a Power 5 conference that was ranked outside the top 10 at number 12 coming into this game. So everybody needed to see a little bit more. But I thought that that was overblown because, one, 
Oklahoma was a really good football team. You could see that on tape, but it showed up, especially on Saturday against Texas. But two, this is a team, a program that had heard 49 to zero for a calendar year straight. So even if you felt like they had played, nobody's coming into this week. You didn't think they was going to show up and play against Texas in the biggest game of their lives. So talking about Arkansas State, Tulsa, uh, SMU, Cincinnati and Iowa State meant nothing coming into the game because this is Red River. That's why they say throw out the rankings, throw out the stats, throw out the AP poll, everything. Right. Oklahoma came into that game ready to punch Texas in the mouth. And I'm not sure that Texas punched back, even taking the lead late. Right. Oklahoma came into that game and did something that I did not think they could do to a year three Texas team under Steve Sarkeesian. And that was win the game in the trenches. Right. They rushed for 45 more yards coming into the game. We thought that that's where Texas would have an advantage in the running game, especially with Oklahoma struggling up until this point in the season with their running game. Obviously, Dylan Gabriel accounted for a lot of that running for 113 rushing yards, but they were just more physical at the point of attack than this Texas football team. And then I don't want to get into a conversation about the refs. There were questionable uh, you know, calls on each side. It's Red River. It's probably going to be that way. Refs aren't perfect, right? We were they were penalized for 40 less yards, right? They were the more disciplined team and they won in the trenches on Saturday. And eight times out of 10, probably nine times out of 10, you're going to be the winning football team if you do that. So we could talk about strength of schedule. We could talk about Oklahoma not playing anybody, not being battle tested, but they were going to show up and give 110 percent against Texas on Saturday. They did that. Texas did not match that energy. And that's why Oklahoma is six and oh, and Texas is five and one. I want to talk about Dylan Gabriel because I think he was the best player on the field on Saturday. And I think he had a legendary, historic Red River type moment this past weekend. We don't put him in the same breath as the Kyler Murrays, the Jalen Hurts, the Baker Mayfields, the Caleb Williams. Right. But that's exactly the way that he played on Saturday. When I look at that performance from Dylan Gabriel. There were maybe two, three times at the most in that game where I felt like, OK, maybe he made the wrong read. Or maybe he made the wrong decision. Outside of that, he was flawless in Jeff Levy's offense. And I thought Jeff Levy did a great job of neutralizing a Texas defense and neutralizing all of this depth that's been on display for five weeks up until this point with that tempo really keeping us off balance, right? This is an aggressive defense. They like to hunt. They like to come at you. They like to come get you. But instead, this Texas defense was on their heels all game. You have to credit Jeff Levy for the game plan, but you have to credit Dylan Gabriel for the execution. And like I said, he was damn near flawless on Saturday. Of course, he had a couple throws on third downs that were maybe late in behind and uh, ended some Oklahoma drives prematurely. He had to throw in the end zone. That was a nice athletic play, but maybe it was a little ill-advised. Jaron Thompson dropped it and bailed Dylan Gabriel out, allowed them to get points on that drive. But outside of that, especially on the last drive, I thought, like I said, Dylan Gabriel was the best player on the field on Saturday, and he had a legendary Red River-type performance to carry them to victory. When I look at what Dylan Gabriel was able to do in terms of, terms of level of difficulty, right? I had to think about what I was going to say there. This Texas defense had embarrassed everybody they played this year, right? They made JT Daniels not look like a five-star. They made Jalen Miro look like a replacement-level quarterback. The Wyoming quarterback didn't even bother to start in that game because they wanted to keep him for conference play, right? Then you played against Sawyer Robertson, and he got benched in the game, right? Then you played against Jason Bean, and he did not look like a five-year player at all. They had pretty much embarrassed every quarterback and offense they had played up until this point. And now this Texas team, right, going against this Texas defense who had been one of the best units in the country – with 71 seconds left on the clock and no timeouts, Dylan Gabriel drove the ball down the field. And I'll talk about here in a minute. I think he got some help from Pekakowski. But Dylan Gabriel drove the ball down the field and scored the game-winning touchdown. 
against one of the best defenses in the country with no timeouts and 71 seconds on the clock. Like I said, we could talk about Dylan Gabriel and we could say he's not Kyler Murray. He's not a Caleb Williams. He's not one of those special Oklahoma quarterbacks that we're used to seeing. But on Saturday, he validated his decision to come to the University of Oklahoma, winning that Red River game. And like I said, it was a historic performance for him, almost 400 total yards and two touchdowns. He was certainly the best player on the field on Saturday and was a maestro in Jeff Levy's offense all the way until the end, giving Oklahoma the lead for good with 15 seconds left. Now, I've given Oklahoma enough credit, right? I was saying all the praises about Brent Venables, Jeff Levy, the team in the trenches, and Dylan Gabriel. Now it's time to talk about Texas, right, and what Texas did wrong. And I want to start with Pete Kukowski on that last drive. My question to Texas fans, maybe some of y'all are smarter than me. You can tell me in the comments. What was Pete Kukowski scared of? Like I said, 71 seconds left. No timeouts. Dylan Gabriel has the ball. What was Pete Kukowski scared of? At that point, if you force any type of negative play, if you force any type of dynamic play on the defensive end, you're putting them way behind the power curve. And the chances of them still winning that game or at least even tying it drop significantly. What was Pete scared of? He almost approached that drive as if we were playing by NFL rules and the clock wouldn't stop every time you get a first down. Do you know that there were six plays on that drive from Dylan Gabriel? The clock stopped after four of them. He got three straight first downs on his first three throws, and then he had a passive interference call on his fourth uh, throw. So the clock stopped four times in the first four plays for Oklahoma. The clock didn't start running until they were in the red zone, essentially. And a big part of that is because Pete Kukowski is playing 10 yards off. You go into that last drive with a soft mindset, the players are going to play soft. That's why we lost. I mean, obviously, it's a 60-minute culmination of things, but you had the lead with 71 seconds left. You went out there and played soft and allowed them to just drive down the field and score. You're playing 10 yards off. Get in the receiver's face. Reroute the receivers. Disrupt their timing. Why was Pete Kukowski not interested in that at the end of the game? Blitz. Try to speed up Dylan Gabriel, try to knock him off his pivot. Try to make him make a, cup, a tough decision. Why was Pekakowski not interested in that at the end of the game? Your defense is gassed. That tempo was getting to them. Tamadre Sweat, Byron Murphy, Baron Sorrell, they did not have the same impact at that point in the game. Blitz, send extra. Make Dylan Gabriel make a tough decision. Like I said, if you could force him into a bad decision, even a tackle for loss or a sack at that point, Texas's chances of winning the game increased significantly. But instead, you sat back and just let Dylan Gabriel drive down the field. You sat back 10 yards off and gave him all the cushion he needed to drive down the field. And my question is, why? What were you scared of? I understand you were missing Ryan Watts. That's a big, you know, really good cover corner. But did you honestly feel like if you got in the receiver's faces and challenged them at the line of scrimmage, they were just going to run past you and make a big play and we were going to lose the game? You know, hindsight is 2020, and maybe that's what his thought was. Maybe he thought that that would happen. But the soft coverage that he played on that last drive – basically allowing Oklahoma and Jeff Levy to walk down the field with Dylan Gabriel executing is one of the biggest reasons we lost. No pressure, no press coverage, no tight man, just allowing Oklahoma to do whatever they want. And then with that confidence and rhythm, they made the play at the end to go up for good with 15 seconds left. So, you know, obviously it took 60 minutes for us to lose that football game, but that was very questionable. The decision by Pete at the end to essentially let Dylan Gabriel and that Oklahoma offense just walk down the field and get a touchdown. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we'll talk a little bit more about some key plays, drives, and moments that led to Texas losing this game on Saturday.
Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by Athletic Brewing Company. Right? The Athletic Brewing Company specializes in non-alcoholic beers that are fit for all times. You can drink them anytime, anywhere, and make any activity even more enjoyable. You're watching a big game or your kid's game, tackling work or working out, etc. And the best part, especially for me, I just turned 30, no hangovers ever right you're able to enjoy that feeling of drinking beer but still feel good the next day you can find athletic brewing companies non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy online at athleticbrewing.com first time customers can use code locked on to get 15% off your first online order that's code locked on at checkout for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com near beer exclusions and conditions apply athletic brewing company fit for all time All right, we're continuing our conversation. Now I want to talk about the first and goal sequence where they had first and goal from the one, ultimately uh, had a turnover on downs and did not score with four attempts from the one-yard line down 27 to 20. You could say that that's somewhat of a mute point because Texas ended up, uh, you know, taking the lead later on in the game, but it's just a mindset thing, right? And what I don't like is, and what I knew would happen after I watched it, is everybody rushed to their respective platforms to blame Steve Sarkees, Right. Because we have the thought process that, oh, we couldn't score from the one yard line. We weren't creative enough. And my question is, what are we blaming Steve Sarkeesian for? We have players in year three under Steve Sarkeesian. A lot of them, a lot of the big players on this team have been here longer than Steve Sarkeesian. This is the biggest game of the year, the most important game of the year, probably the biggest game of their lives the most important game of their lives. And you're expecting your football team who was dominated in the trenches for five straight weeks to get one yard. I'm supposed to blame Steve Sarkeesian for thinking he didn't have to trick Oklahoma to get one yard. What did you want Steve Sarkeesian to do a triple reverse? You want Xavier worthy throwing a pass. You want a flea flicker, a tight end screen. Like, like what are we asking for? It's a one yard line. It is one yard. And that offensive line and Kyle Flood that we rave about, they couldn't get a push to get one yard. Savondre Sweat and Byron Murphy, 600 extra pounds at fullback, could not get you one yard. Jonathan Brooks, one of the best running backs in the country right now, could not get you one yard. And we blaming a dude on the sideline with a clipboard? When his team in the biggest moment of their lives, in the biggest moment of their season, couldn't get one yard? And we're blaming Steve Sarkeesian because he didn't get creative enough, because he didn't get cute enough on the one-yard line? How cute do you got to be? How creative do you got to be? It's his fault because he thought his team could line up and get one yard with four attempts. At some point, we got to blame the players for not executing, man. I I, I understand it's easy to blame the coach on the sideline and say he could have did this. He could have did that. He could have spiced it up. He could have called this, this or that, whatever. Right. I understand that. That's all 2020 hindsight. I cannot blame Steve Sarkeesian after the product he's watched on the field for five straight weeks for expecting his team to be motivated enough in the biggest moment of their lives on the football field to get one yard. And we watched him four straight times not get one yard. And our first instinct is to blame the person on the sidelines, not the people that couldn't get the push to get one yard into the end zone. And we're talking about Steve Sarkeesian wasn't creative enough. If we have to trick people to get one yard, if we have to trick people to score from one yard out, then are we who we think we are? Are we a national championship contending team if we got to trick people to get one yard? Are we a college football playoff contending team if we got to trick people to get one yard? Are we a Big 12 championship team if we got to trick people to get one yard? 
You tell me. But blaming Steve Sarkeesian after his team could not get one yard on four straight opportunities feels a little misguided to me. At some point, we have to charge the players to execute. And in that moment, they did not execute and probably was a reason that we ended up losing that game. Now, the next thing I want to talk about was the third and 10 at the end of the game, right? The last real offensive play for the Texas Longhorns before they kicked the field goal. And hindsight is 2020. And so a lot of people are saying that you should have let Quinn Ewers throw the ball on third and 10 to try to get the first down. Because at that point, if you get the first down, there's really no chance of Oklahoma getting the ball back because they have no timeout. So essentially, you're just running down the clock, getting more yards for Burt Arbor to try to make a game win a field goal. And we said, because we ended up kicking that field goal and Oklahoma came down and won the game with too much time on the clock, 71 seconds, that Steve Sarkeesian should have been more aggressive on that third down. But I'm going to ask you this. On first down, Quinn Ewers takes a sack, and he goes back to the 38. So at that point, it's a 55, 56-yard field goal. The next play, second down, they get three yards for Xavier Worthy. At that point, it's a 53-yard field goal. Burt Arbin has missed two field goals in the last two weeks, right? You have to make a decision. Are you going to try to win this game with your five-star quarterback? Or are you going to try to win this game with Jonathan Brooks, Burt Arbin, and your defense? And he chose Jonathan Brooks, Burt Arbin, and his defense. And I think in that moment, he did not trust Quinn Ewers to get him nine yards. He did not trust Quinn Ewers to make a positive play. He did not trust Quinn Ewers to go out there and keep Burt Arbin in field goal range or keep Texas in possession of the ball. He does not trust Quinn Ewers. It's obvious with the play call, and it's obvious in these make-or-break moments at the end of the game that he does not trust Quinn Ewers or does not have the trust in Quinn Ewers you would expect for somebody at that talent level. We talked about it last year when he took the ball out of his hands at the end of the Baylor game and ran the ball 22 straight times. When he took the ball out of his hands last year in the Iowa State game, and he only threw two passes in the last drive. One was a screen pass, one was a three-yard pass to Xavier Worthy. When he took the ball out of his hands in the Wyoming game, he only threw one pass in the fourth quarter. And in this moment, he took the ball out of Quinn Ewers' hands and said, I'm going to trust my running game, my kicker, and my defense over my five-star quarterback. I want to ask you a question. Let's parallel this situation to 2020 Alabama. Let's say this same situation, same score, same down and distance, same amount of time on the clock, but instead of the offense you have now, you have Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle and whoever, right? The 2020 Alabama offense. Do you think in that moment, Steve Sarkeesian, with a third and 10, with your season essentially on the line, do you think he just hands the ball off to Najee Harris to try to get some more yards for a manageable field goal? Or do you think he lets Mac Jones sling it to try to get 10 yards and essentially win the game? I don't have the answer to that. I'm really asking you. But my point is, I think it was an indictment on his trust of Quinn Ewers in that moment. I understand you saying that, Oh, he should have been more aggressive, try to get the 10 yards, because if you get the 10 yards, you essentially win the game if Burt Arbor makes the field goal at the end. I understand that. But going into that moment, I didn't have full confidence that Quinn Ewers wouldn't lead us into a negative play, a sack, or maybe a forced throw or interception or a fumble. I didn't have full confidence in that. It's clear that Steve Sarkeesian didn't have full confidence in that, and I'm not sure you watching at home have full confidence in that. All right? I was under the impression that Steve Sarkeesian made the right decision. Give the ball to Jonathan Brooks, get as many yards as you can, kick that field goal, and trust your defense, right? And I'm not sure if he made the right decision or the wrong decision, right? At this point, it's all hindsight, 2020 opinion. But what I do know is I watched Steve Sarkeesian, as he has done in multiple moments in games previously in the Quinn Ewers era, take the ball out of Quinn Ewers' hands. And maybe it was the right decision. Maybe it was the wrong decision. But I think more about the decision being right or wrong, it just shows a lack of trust. And somebody as talented as Quinn Ewers, which is kind of crazy, because like I said, in that same scenario, 
Steve Sarkeesian is not handing the ball off to Najee Harris. He's putting the ball in Mac Jones' hands to get 10 yards and end the game. So now I want to talk about what this loss and this win means moving forward for Texas and Oklahoma. For Oklahoma, you're sitting pretty, right? You're in the driver's seat to get to the college football playoff. You're certainly in the driver's seat to get to the Big 12 championship game. And when you look at the remainder of their schedule, they may lose one game, right? Because it's tough to go undefeated throughout the regular season. Obviously, every team they play is trying to beat them, especially, you know, heading out of the Big 12. But UCF does not look good right now. Kansas, we don't know if Jalen Daniels will play again this season. Oklahoma State is bad. That game is on the road. Anything could happen. West Virginia, BYU, and TCU. If Oklahoma plays like they did on Saturday, none of those teams should beat them. Not more than one of those teams can beat them. So like I said, they've essentially already punched their ticket to the Big 12 championship game in December. For Texas, you essentially have to win out to reach all of the goals that became goals after the Alabama game. After that point, you felt like a legitimate national championship contender. After that point, you felt like a legitimate playoff contender. And you certainly, going into the season, felt like a Big 12 championship contender. And now, to still control your own destiny for all of that, you need to win out. You need to beat Houston, BYU, Kansas State, TCU, Iowa State, Texas Tech, and whoever you play in the Big 12 championship game. And as of this moment, because I know Texas fans are all over Twitter saying, we'll see Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. We'll get our lick back in the Big 12 championship game. Do you know that at this moment, if the season ended today, Texas would not even be in it? It would be West Virginia and Oklahoma. Now, of course, that can change. West Virginia and Oklahoma play each other in a couple of weeks. But I'm just saying that Texas has work to do to now get to the Big 12 championship. What was once a foregone conclusion, we now at least at this point, as I'm talking today on October 9th, need help to get there, right? So this Texas team is going to have to put up or shut up. They're going to have to become the team they thought they were going into the season and going into this Oklahoma game and win out if they still want to reach their goals. But, you know, it was a hell of a win for Oklahoma. This doesn't take too much away from Texas. That's a good football team, a huge historic rival that they lost to on the other side. And everything Texas wants to do is still in front of them. And, you know, if that loss pissed you off that much, if it motivated you that much, then make sure you get back to the Big 12 championship game and make sure you get the reverse of 2018 where they beat us in the or we beat them in the regular season but lost in the Big 12 championship game. We're trying to lose to them in the regular season but beat them when it matters in Arlington in December. A quick word from our sponsors and then the Big 12 roundup. Everything you need to know that happened in your least favorite conference outside of the two teams headed to the SEC. This episode of Locked On Longhorns is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that one, uh, bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. eBay Guaranteed Fit only. Available to U.S. customers. I meant to say this at the beginning of the show. I should say it now. This episode is going to come out a little bit later than I would have liked. I recorded a full episode, and for some reason, it was like super staticky. Half of it you couldn't hear. I'm hoping when I go back and listen to this after, I can post this one because this might be the last time I try to record today if it doesn't work. But nonetheless, this will be out, and uh, you know, I guess you have to listen to me talk about Texas losing, right? Unless, I know you don't want to hear that. That's why I didn't record on Saturday because I'm like, I'm going to let them breathe. And what do I talk about for two weeks now? Like, now we got a bye week. So I got to talk about losing to Oklahoma for two weeks. I got to listen to them brag for two weeks about their biggest win in the Brent Venables area. Era, excuse me. I don't know. 
I don't know what we're going to talk about, but I'll be here. All right, Big 12 Roundup, Kansas State 21, Oklahoma State 29. Um, I just have to come to the realization that I have given Kansas State too much benefit of the doubt. This is not the same team. They are not good, right, essentially. They lost to Missouri, and I'm like, okay, maybe it's a tough game on the road. Missouri Missouri has looked really good, um, even though they just folded against LSU on Saturday. They're still a really good football team. Uh, but Oklahoma State is not good, right? They lost to South Alabama by 26 points at home. And I'm watching this game, and the score is way closer than this game actually was. Oklahoma State pretty much did whatever they wanted on the offensive end against that Kansas State defense, who's usually sound, poised, um, and, you know, sound <laughs> i guess making plays and not allowing people to just you know run up and down the field on them and then their quarterback will howard who's experienced who led them to a big 12 championship game last year big 12 championship win i should say through three interceptions then they were all bad so kansas state just does not look like the same team they do not look like a contender look like a team that could knock off anybody you know in the big 12 championship but obviously texas still has to bring their a game to beat them later on in the season in dkr but kansas state certainly is not even close to the unit that they were last year. UCF 22, Kansas 51. UCF has had a really bad five-quarter stretch. They had a 35-10 to 10 lead going into the fourth quarter against Baylor last week. Baylor scored 26 unanswered to win that game by one point. And then Kansas, without Jalen Daniels, just came out and blitzed them 51-22. to 22. So Kansas still looks really good. Their Big 12 championship game hopes are still intact with only one conference loss uh, to Texas. And UCF is starting to get exposed a little bit. So we'll see what Kansas does moving forward. Hopefully Jalen Daniels can come back and uh, this team can compete to get into the Big 12 championship in December. But a good bounce back win after losing by almost four touchdowns to Texas last weekend. Texas Tech 39, Baylor 14. Baylor kind of uh, regressed to the mean after winning the game. Uh, they shouldn't have won against UCF. And Texas Tech has been on fire the last two weeks under Baron Morton, uh, averaging over 40 points a game, over 80 points uh, the last two weeks. This looks like a really competitive team moving forward right obviously they're not going to be the texas tech that they expected to be coming into the season but i think week in and week out this, this is a team that can beat anybody in the conference moving forward and certainly texas in their last ever big 12 conference game we're gonna have to bring their a game to beat texas tech and that joy mcguire motivated squad and then tcu 14 iowa state 27 i was wrong about tcu i was wrong about tcu i was wrong about tcu my favorite number is four i'll say it one more time i was wrong about tcu Obviously, they're not the same team that they were last year. You lose all of that NFL talent. But I thought that they were still really good on the defensive end. I thought that they brought in some really good transfers. And I like Sonny Dykes as a head coach. And so I thought that they still could be an 8-9 win football team. Right now, they look like a 6 or 7 win football team like most of you predicted, right? I don't know what's going on. Two bad losses to West Virginia and Iowa State. This TCU team is just not the same as they were last year and really look like one-year wonders. So I was wrong about TCU. I thought that, you know, the game against Georgia was overblown. They never had a chance to get Georgia, period, right? You just look at the blue chip ratio in college football. That game was never going to be close, right? Then they came out and lost a tough game where they really shot themselves in the foot multiple times against Colorado. And I said, Colorado's probably better than we think, right? So we shouldn't clown TCU for losing to Colorado. We can clown TCU for losing to West Virginia and Iowa State. It's bad. Uh, yeah, obviously, you know, Texas still has to be on their P's and Q's, you know, going into Fort Worth to win that game later in the season. But TCU certainly does not look like a team similar to Kansas State that can compete with Kansas, Oklahoma, or Texas for a Big 12 championship right now. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Excuse me. I didn't mention West Virginia, who right now would be in the Big 12 championship game. So they are certainly a contender for that as well. Don't know what I'm going to talk about for the next two weeks, but like I said, I'm here. Hook them. Peace.